The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I have waited to do this for so long. No, no, whoa, get up, get up. Dad, you're supposed to knock. Wow, high school students are looking rougher and rougher these days. Who are you? It's kind of hard to explain. Hey, did you hear the one about the grown woman who started hanging out with a bunch of pubescent kids? No, what? No, I'd never heard of it before either. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I am Tobin Addington. And I'm Aislinn Addington. And today we are joined by yet another very special guest. Uh, We've got Corey O'Connell with us. Hi, Corey. Hello. Great to be here. We go way back, but Aislinn doesn't know you very well, and and neither do maybe do some of our listeners. Would you give us a little like, what are you what are you up to? What are you doing these days? Who are you? Who am I? Uh, right now, <laughs> I'm a film student. I'm a graduate MFA student at the Fierstein Graduate School of Cinema at Brooklyn College, uh, studying screenwriting, and also in my abundant spare time, working as a nonprofit <laughs> database consultant. Which, oh, wow. yeah, it's. It is what it is, and that's why I'm back in grad school. <laughs> <laughs> At one point in time, you had thought about becoming a, a critic or a film scholar or a, before I you sort did. of moved into screenwriting, right? I did. I just liked your screenwriting classes so much that I had to go back to it. <laughs> oh. wow. wow. This is why you invite people on. <laughs> yes, <Tobin>. exactly. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about an ego, ego boost for me. I know. Yes. How's that? How's that ego? <laughs> I did try a film studies MA program, and I did uh, participate in the New York Film Festival's Critics Academy, and that is what made me realize also that I would rather be working to make films rather than writing about them. Today, we're going to talk about Leggies from 2014, and I have a hard time saying that word and people (laughs) hearing what I'm saying. Uh-huh. I'm saying L-A-G-G-I-E-S. And it was about five minutes on the phone with our mother today before we got that oh. <laughs> down. Because she was hearing L-E-G-G-I-E-S. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So bit apologies. <laughs> uh, it's an uh, awkward one. Um, not the film. Well, it is. But um, but the the... The pronunciation, pronunciation of the title. <laughs> and this is a film that I um, rented on Netflix when I still got discs from Netflix. Oh, wow. Wow. So I'm going to say I saw it t- 2015. I mean, I saw it um, uh, n- not in the theater when it came out, but when it was available to me in my home. I, yeah. I picked it up pretty quickly um, based on... I think an article and a trailer. Hmm. Um, so this was this was the f- second time I'd seen it. Um, what about you all? Have you were you familiar with this movie? I was very familiar with this movie. I oh. definitely saw. I read about it when it was at, premiered at Sundance, and I was like, oh. "This sounds like something that I really need to see." <laughs> and uh, when it came out, I saw it in theaters down at the AMC in East Village, and. 
it was $17 and worth every penny. So much so that I actually went back and saw it a second time a few weeks later, which I never do for New York ticket prices. But <laughs> I just enjoyed it that much. So this was, I bought it on DVD, I pre-ordered it online, and also had a copy sent to to my best friend, because I was just like, I was like, you really need to see this. And I know you're not going to rent it, so I'm sending it to you. (laughs) That's dedication. I appreciate that. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. The whole that whole story. That's great. (laughs) I, I had never seen this movie before. I was aware of it. And I, I know Lynn Shelton. I've seen, I guess maybe not all of her other movies, but a number of them. And I, and I knew, I knew of this movie when it came out. But boy, this, to my memory, disappeared from the theater pretty quickly, um, which is kind of a shame. Uh, I guess, I guess, Corey, you couldn't buy enough tickets to keep it in theaters uh, long enough for me to get to it. Um, but you did your part clearly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Despite your best efforts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, I was excited to get a chance to uh, to check it out. Eisen, I think this is one you put on the list. It was indeed, and I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation um, because I experienced it very differently uh, this time around than I did. Oh four years ago three or four years ago so um i'm excited um but before we actually get to talk about it we have more preamble um toby could you give us a little bit of history could you give us two bits about this film yeah here are my two bits and maybe Corey has more to add since she is more familiar with this film the first is that anne hathaway was apparently like up up to the point of about to shoot the film, going to be the lead in it, and then the the bud or the the schedule for Interstellar kept her out of this movie. So I, my one question I have is, what do you guys think about that? Would that can you imagine this movie with Anne Hathaway in the lead? No, <laughs> <laughs> flatly no, <laughs> not gonna pretend. I mean, I was listening to uh, your Ocean's Eight episode the other day, and. Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I I see Anne Hathaway on screen in a movie now, and she's still Anne Hathaway. And so I don't think Mm -hmm. I would have been able to accept her in the kind of role of being the confused 20-something, because I would have been like, you're Anne Hathaway. You're not confused right now. You're just you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I mean, I I agree for, yeah, for similar reasons. I think, hold on, how can I craft this? (laughs) A strength of this movie is uh, allowing and perhaps celebrating uh, someone's unlikable qualities. Mm. And so in that sense, I think (laughs) Anne Hathaway could have really, really, um, you know, sort of exacerbated that. That's a backhanded (laughs) compliment as they they come. Yeah, Um, In the way that, as we've talked about before, Bill Paxton rest in peace was great in big love mm-hmm. right yep because i came in you know with feelings um <laughs> so yeah I, I i agree it would have been a, a different film and i i would have had a a hard time to me it would then have felt more like an anne hathaway movie mm. than you know a, a week in the life of of this you know confused megan so I, I think it turned out better this way. Yeah, I, I think Anne Hathaway has a way of um, sometimes wearing her quirks uh, 
uh, a little more artificially than perhaps. I think she would have gone into quirk in this movie, maybe a, a right. little. A well, little maybe much. they come off potentially artificial. artificial. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I feel. I feel. Um, I I re- sometimes regret being in this anti Anne Hathaway camp that I'm in. <laughs> for me, it is sin- it's, it's sincere. I don't know how else to say it. I'm just not a fan. Yeah. I, I am a fan I'm, of Lynn Shelton. So um, yeah. So second bit. I should do the second, second bit. bit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so this is the first movie, as I understand it, that Lynn Shelton directed that she didn't also write. And it came at an interesting time in her career where she moved into directing a lot of TV um, and and uh, did a, a number of episodes on a bunch of sort of well-known shows that you can kind of imagine her style meshing well with. So I'm just going to name a few, of the, a few of the shows that she directed a bunch of episodes of. Uh, the New Girl, Mindy Project, Master of None, Casual, Fresh Off the Boat love and glow um and and you so those movies probably brought her directing to i mean didn't probably for sure brought her directing to more eyes than any of her movies had prior to this and, and she talked a lot about that with her most recent movie um called outside in starring edie falco um and which got very good reviews i didn't see it but uh, apparently edie falco has just a wonderful performance in it and she talked uh, Lynn Shelton's talked a lot about how she was maybe a little bit burnt out on movies or, or maybe having a hard time getting movies she wanted to make made uh, until she sort of moved into this sort of TV boot camp for a while. Um, but uh, yeah, so those are those are the two bits. Yeah, I did know that this was the first movie that she directed having not written it. She said she'd written a lot of well-written scripts before, mm-hmm. but this was one of the first that she really just felt connected with. And mm-hmm. she really considers the movie to be a collaboration of her voice and of the screenwriters, uh, Andrea Siegel. Uh, one interesting thing that I found that... Uh, is definitely Lynn's stamp on the script is that originally the whole movie was set in uh, Orange County around Los Angeles. And she's from Seattle and wanted to, it's very important to her to make movies in Seattle to use local actors, local Mm. crew. And so she asked the screenwriter, you know, would it be all right if we change the location and the screenwriter was very amenable to it. And so they moved it. I'm so glad uh, this movie would have been much, much different. It would have hit me different if it had been an Orange County movie as opposed to a Seattle movie. I, I think that was a, a smart, smart choice. It does. It makes a little more sense to me that it was originally Orange County, though. Mm, interesting. I, okay. I feel like that. I, I see that. I also, you know, I love anything Northwest shout out. So I I agree um, that it was, a, I think, a, a good solid choice to do that. Although my joke is yes, that, that local Seattle actress, Kira Knightley. (laughs) 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 And I I mean, this is really sort of set up. It seems like for, for me also in that the, of the shows you just listed, I have watched most of all Mm -hmm, of them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, with a couple that I, I mean, I think casual is one of the best shows that's out right now and that people it's on Hulu. And so not that people aren't watching, but maybe have a harder time finding mm-hmm. so good. I love. And, and every time when I see these shows and I, I always look at who's directing each good episode. For good for you. And I often point it out in my household, like, Oh, this is a whatever. Or you can see in the show, like rewatching a show like the office or something where 
um, as the seasons go on, people get producer credits and then people start directing episodes. And so I always point that out. Um, uh-huh. Sorry, there was suddenly dog noises in my house. Oh. Um, <laughs> luckily, they were my dog, so it's fine. Um, but so I always in my, you know, in my head or out loud, do a little, oh, yay, Lynn episode. Yeah, good, it's a Lynn good. episode. So love that anyway. Um, nice. Uh, and and last thing, um, I think love is similar in that uh, some of those characters I cannot stand. Like they are terrible people, huh, huh. but and and <laughs> profoundly unlikable, and in relationships that I don't believe in. But I enjoy watching the show, and so I think that I give Lynn credit for some of that, yeah, whether she's sure. involved in it or not. But speaking yeah. of giving Lynn and others credit, yes, let's say some names out loud. Okay, let's do it. Aislinn, who are the women in major roles in this movie? Uh, director, Lynn Shelton. Writer, Andrea Siegel. Lead roles, Kira Knightley and Chloe Grace Moretz. Producers there we include go. <laughs> Lacey Leavitt, Alex Madigan, Jennifer Roth, Rosalie Swedlin, Peggy Taylor, Lisa Wilson, and Mel Elson. Apologies to any of those people whose names I have mispronounced. Uh, Tobin, before yep. we go any further, <laughs> yes, let's share with people what this film is about. Okay, so this is adapted from uh, I think the IMDb uh, synopsis uh, in Leggies. Meg, played by Kira Knightley, is deep in the throes of a quarter-life crisis that comes to a head when she reluctantly accepts her boyfriend's marriage proposal. She escapes her life for a week, hiding out the house of her new friend, 16-year-old Annika, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, and her world-weary single dad, played by Sam Rockwell. That is Annika, Annika's dad, not, not Kira Knightley's dad. But it turns out you can't outrun your problems and Meg must eventually untangle her life and finally make a decision about what really matters and how she wants to live. Okay. <laughs> you sound skeptical. Are you skeptical of the film or of my uh, of my uh, adapted synopsis? I guess the adapted synopsis, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay. okay with it. All right. <laughs> I don't know. You sound profoundly know. skeptical. I guess I am. I guess I just became profoundly skeptical. Apologies. That's all right. Do you want to elaborate uh, on that or, uh, or go somewhere else? <laughs> I guess go somewhere else. Okay. Um, is it the tagline for the movie that's a comedy about acting your age and other adult decisions? Yes. Okay, because I read that somewhere. I think so. Okay. It's on the DVD case. I the fir- My first comment, I think, is about the directing. Again, you two are the experts, so tell me. <laughs> but, bef- you know, the sort of pre-credit sequence is a fuzzy prom after prom uh, scene where we're really hearing more than we're seeing, mm-hmm. but it's these four women and their dates kind of around and they're just having a blast for prom together there. I immediately mm-hmm. get that this is a, this is a crew. And then then you know, sort of next it immediately is this tension between Ellie Kemper, who I think did great in this mm-hmm. role, because mm-hmm. it was before, yeah, she did. before some of the other things, but but it's just it's a different you know it's a different shade of Ellie, and I, I loved it so much. Um, but I I immediately identified with that that thing of when whether you're growing apart or just having some other kind of conflict, then everything that person does is going to rub you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Where otherwise, 
the, all those little things wouldn't matter, but they right. just matter so much because there's just such tension. And I thought that was it, not even built because we didn't see the 10 years, but just sort of we were immediately set into that. Mm-hmm. And and it just, for me, flew off the screen. So, of course, some of it is is the portrayals too, but I, I felt like that was a a directing success. I think it was partially the directing, the performances, but I think that it was also definitely in the writing. Mm. And I think, but I do think um, a lot of it is more subtle, I think, Mm. in the sense that you, it's not necessarily the things that they say, but kind of how they say them. It's how... One person, you know, Allison will say something, the Ellie Kemper character, and the other two women will gush over what she's saying. Mm-hmm. And Megan will sit there looking at her as though she's insane mm-hmm. and as if she thinks she should be laughing, but doesn't find it funny. And I think they do a really good job of setting up sort of uh, different scenarios from the very beginning in which their attitudes about certain event about whatever events in their life, like Allison's bachelorette party, mm-hmm. um, how you see immediately that these pe- that these women aren't all in the same place. They aren't the girls that they used to be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree, and I think we see a lot in the first few scenes of Megan's reaction to things mm-hmm. not fitting kind of the rest of the audience, meaning the other people involved. So like the first dance, right. Yes. And the other, the friends and the family, mm-hmm. you know, are finding it so charming and she just can't even with it. And that happens to me in my life a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> Same. so I, I absolutely I identified with that. And in, I, and not that, not that I thought the the other friends or the people who did find it charming were stupid. I, you know, I'm, I'm fine with them finding it charming and just like looking around to get that cue of what am I supposed to think of all this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that, oh goodness. That's mm-hmm. not what I took from it. Um, and so I, I think that's a nice, um, those, those examples kind of get sewn together to give us a, a picture of, like you say that, that Meg is not in the same place. Um, you know, internally as these other people around her that maybe she once was in, in line with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something that uh, Ellie Kemper said that was about her character, Allison, that I found really interesting is that she said she herself is not a bad person overall, but I think that Allison is clinging to this idea that things should not change as you go from childhood to teen years to adult. Mm. And sometimes things do change and you have to allow room for that. And I think she's scared of allowing room for that. And she said that and I was like, this is why you played this character so well, because you really understood that about her. Absolutely. I think that came across great because I I never thought that she was a bad person. Um, I, I think anytime you drop into someone right when they're having a a large life event, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, you're not going to get, you know, we got wedding Allison, which might be different than the rest. I, I, I gave, I, yeah, I didn't, I, I agree with Ellie that, that Allison's probably a a great person. (laughs) Um, yeah. Despite her well, nitpicking. Things, 
usually all of her nitpicking and everything that she's doing trying to control the events around her mm-hmm. <laughs> comes from this desire to exper- have similar experiences with her friends and share in those experiences with mm-hmm. them. So every time she's say she you know she when she pops in to say, "Oh, you you know, Savannah, you asked Megan and Anthony to be the your baby's godparents." She knew about it already because she probably had a hand right. in that. Yes. The same way she had a hand in helping Anthony pick out the, the ring, ring yeah. that he was going to propose with and in giving him permission to propose to <laughs> Megan at her own wedding. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And if they were all, you know, sort of truly on the same page, none of those things would necessarily sort of slap us in the face the way they do. But the, the, at that brunch from hell, when, um, the, <laughs> the, um, they're asking Megan and Anthony to be godparents. And then Allison just whoop is right there. Like, yeah. <laughs> comes, like literally comes into frame. Um, as if ready, like, Oh yes, I'm a part of this too. Like we're all, yeah. you know, and, that, and that's, yeah. that's, you know, like you say, it's her thing. We're all doing these things together. And we're all supposed to do these things together. Mm-hmm. We're all supposed to do these things. And um, the, the thing yeah. that I know that I thought of in as we see the different way that Meg is sort of experiencing these things is uh, there was a time when I think maybe I was in high school and then in college and and Island and I for a while could not go or sit near each other at events <laughs> True story. because we, we would be at either family or like I remember there was like a National Honor Society induction or whatever. There was. <laughs> That we could not be even with an eye shot of one another because we just look at each other and crack up because it felt like various things that were going around us were ludicrous uh, and 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 that we were maybe the only sane ones or maybe the only insane ones uh, in attendance. And so that, that's sort of what it reminded me. I was like, we would not have been able to make it through that first dance. We would have had to be, we would have been escorted out of that. We would have, yes, mom would have <laughs> turned us around, pushed us, turned us around and sent us out. Yes, yes. Originally, that that first dance wasn't in the movie. Oh, it was just supposed to be a, a song that comes on, and uh, Megan gets exasperated by how corny the song is. And uh, Lynn read that, and she said, "You know, I think there should be a dance." And so, last minute, she had a choreographer friend come in, and. Uh, Amazing. choreographed this whole big dance it went on a lot longer than what they actually ended up showing in the movie and if you have the dvd you should check out that's the awesome scene. and you I can tell you could you could see that this was a longer piece and one of the things i really like about uh and again i don't I, whatever combination this is of andrea siegel's script and lynn shelton's directing the number of times the movie would move on in the middle of what in a different kind of comedy would be a big joke Right. Like it's if it would be some kind of big set piece and things would be falling down and, you know, the whatever, all kinds of crazy stuff would be happening. And in this movie, it's just this is just sort of this is part of life. Right. So we just catch this little glimpse of life and then we cut out of it. And so I'm still sort of in the have that residual. Oh, I was only half done laughing at that as we moved on to the next part, which is actually if you sort of are or sort of go with the with the pace of the movie, I think is very uh, sort of delightful. Yeah. I really like that she she knows not to stay too long in a scene, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it never feel and it keeps everything feeling fresh. You never feel like you're in a moment longer than you're supposed to be. That's how right. I live my life. <laughs> uh, before we get too much further into what happens, I wanted to um, talk about uh, the dad real quick, Jeff Garland, um, mm-hmm. who, on the whole, I'm not a giant fan, mm-hmm. but in this 
I really, I really liked him. And I, my note for him is he's so helpful and so not helpful at the same time. Like, <laughs> like so supportive, but in such a way that, yeah, you know, she's debilitating a yeah. lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she doesn't have words for it at this stage in the film, but like, you know, she's floating and he's just look at your beautiful, amazing floating self. Yeah. He's, he's, he enables it. He's enabling <laughs> yes, her. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so I, I, yeah, I just, and I, I, I sort of love his unadulterated love for, for her and whatever uh-huh. she does is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yet that not only is sort of not helpful to her in this, at this stage, um, but also uh, immediately then builds in, I think, empathy for the mother who's the, then mm. the heavy to say, right. no, get it get out of my house you know like, what? yeah playing the bad cop yeah yeah because um, she has to right yeah yeah exactly someone's gotta someone's gotta point out that this person is an adult yes but in any case i just wanted to make sure that we had dad in the picture because then i think seeing him cheat on the mom at the wedding reception is part of you know one of the straws that then gets right. her to leave she can't even anymore and, and leaves the whole the whole thing and, and meets new friends. Yeah. I think I feel like Jeff Garland made a lot out of a small role mm-hmm. and that his character could very easily be could very be easy to hate. And I didn't hate him. I was actually amazed kind of that I didn't hate him because I mm-hmm. felt like, you know, if you look at him objectively on paper, you'd say this this guy, he, he enables his daughter, even though, you know, he loves her. He's doing it out of love, but still, he's not helping her at all. He's right, right. not giving her good advice. He's cheating on his wife. He, he gets caught and he says he, he doesn't have a good excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, not that I there, think there is a good excuse for that necessarily, but, you know, not judging him, but his response is not great <laughs> when she calls him out on it. And um, I thought it was interesting that they included that sort of subplot at all in the story because you could, I think, make the movie without it. Yeah, I, I think you could, but I think it really helps in her um, trying to decide what she wants, like what a relationship should look like and what, she wants and where where she wants to be you know i feel like yeah. i don't know seeing the sort of cracking of her parents relationship while her friends yeah. are getting married i think that it just all adds to that stew it demonstrates the consequences of a bad decision at this point mm-hmm. in her life mm-hmm. and and the idea yeah. that if she makes sort of the wrong choice for herself vis-a-vis her relationships of all kinds at this moment, it's going to, you know, the, the, there are potential repercussions, good or bad, you know, it's just like, it's all going to get messy. So let's make the best choice now that we, that we could, that's how I read it anyway, is that sort of like a, like a, this, this is where, where various paths could lead, you know, which is not to say that like you make a bad choice and you're going to cheat on a spouse or whatever, but I mean, you know, they're, they're, in terms of the movie logic, I think it's, we're supposed to feel it that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Kira Knightley, so as we've alluded to, she's the like she's a big star for a Lynn Shelton movie. Lynn Shelton makes generally these very tiny movies, and and usually without you know like giant 
headlining cover a magazine type stars. Corey, what did you think of Kira Knightley in this lead role? I read an interview where she said that she's never played a character this floppy before. <laughs> and I thought that was just <laughs> a perfect description for the character and for the way that Kira played her. I had, uh, this is, I think, the first time she played an American character. So th- the first time I saw this, it took me a moment to adjust to her voice and the accent. Um, but it never bothered me mm-hmm. at all. And uh, I really liked that um, this was like in a period of time when she was first starting to move away from all the period pieces. Mm. She had started out doing Bend It Like Beckham, but then she, I mean... Pirates of the Caribbean is kind of a costume drama yeah, in sure. a weird yeah, she, way. Yeah, she, yeah, she, sure. did, she did a lot of corset work. A lot of corset work. Pride and, and Prejudice. Pride and, and Prejudice mm-hmm. and Anna Karenina and the Duchess. And this was one of the first roles when she did um, when she stepped out of that. And she did this and uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World mm-hmm. and Begin Again and um, a couple others. And before sort of going back to the period pieces. <laughs> and... Uh, so this was kind of a side of her that I don't think people had necessarily seen. And I think we forget that she can be really funny, that she mm-hmm. can be really loose and just naturally kind of has a very easy way of holding herself. And I think that that definitely helped in playing this character. Aizen, what do you think? I think, yeah, floppy is a great description for it. Because she, yeah, she was just... <laughs> I know that she her job was holding the sign outside the uh, accounting agency, but she felt very much to me like one of those promotional things that looks like a windsock. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yes. right. So I was like, oh, wrong, wrong prop. And then when she shows up at her parents' house and just lets herself in and rolls over on the couch, she just rolls over yeah, the back yes. of the couch mm-hmm. yes. and pops onto the sofa and grabs the remote. <laughs> And just so naturally and so fluidly, you can tell that she's been doing this her entire life. Yeah, her physical work in this movie, I think, is is really good. And I, I you know, she's an actor that I um, sort of forget how much I like her until I see her working with a good director. You know, there's there's um, there's a certain amount of Kira Knightley-ness that sort of hangs around some of her roles. Like they don't always feel like she's in the movie. Uh, and then and then she works with a good director and I'm and I am on board. And I, I thought she was very good. I think Luce is a great description. I can see why she would want to do this movie, both in terms of it being contemporary and also getting to sort of you know, show another side of herself. Yeah. So I'd say that, you know, the other female lead is Chloe Grace Moritz or Moritz. I don't know. Um, and I do have some feelings. I, I get a weird, I'm shrugging my shoulders right now. Like, you know, when your shoulders hurt and you have to (laughs) shrug them, I have a reaction to, um, precocious child actors. Mm. A la Dakota Fanning. Oh, interesting. In that sort of like, I'm I'm an old soul, you know, uh-huh. that I don't know. And maybe it's because I have watched too many chat shows where they're <laughs> set up to be that way and to be precocious. Um, mm-hmm. So I used to get that vibe from her, or I guess sometimes I, I get or I've gotten that vibe from her. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, her whole 30 Rock thing 
Mm-hmm. Um, just her, maybe her being Alec Baldwin's nemesis and the idea of it, I liked. I just didn't, I just couldn't watch her. She just made me too uncomfortable. That being said, I think she was great in this. So <laughs> this is my, this is my, um, maybe in the way, so when you said sometimes you have a Kira Knightley of it all, and mm-hmm. this was different than that, I sort of have a Chloe of it all. And this, uh, for me was, I, I liked her in this better. And I, I don't think any of it is because she's not a good actor. I think she's mm-hmm. a great actor. I just think, you know, everyone has taste and, and she's not always mine, but, um, I, her matter of factness of the character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, of, of the, it takes something to walk up to a stranger and tell them of obviously, you know, terrible story to get them to buy you beer or then asking that same almost stranger to take you to visit your mom. I mean, there's just kind of a, what comes across her path. She deals with and, um, take not takes advantage of, but a, um, but you know, what's a better phrase than takes advantage of, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, yeah. She, she, she seizes opportunities right, in right. a way that Megan character seems to be unable to do at this point. So I think that's so smart. That's so smart. Yeah. 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 I see that. Yeah. They're a good match that way. And, mm-hmm. and interesting to watch. And I believed their attraction to each other mm-hmm. just as, as yeah. people. I'm, um, and so I, I, I think that could have been because it is awkward and uncomfortable. Like, why is this grown woman hanging out with these teenagers? Mm-hmm. I, I think the performances have to be there in order for it not to just be like, ew, that's weird. Yeah. Stop doing that. And, yeah. and while there's certainly moments of that, there's something there between them that I think works really well. And, and I, I'd like to give um, Chloe some credit for that. What, um, Corey, what do you think of Chloe in, in the performance? I thought she was great. I thought I thought she did a great job of playing the sort of self-absorbed teenager in a way that I didn't hate because <laughs> every one of her problems seemed really real and how dramatic she would get over them made sense to me mm. given everything that we saw her go through and everything that she's you know talks about in her past mm-hmm. but I also get the impression from the way it's written that she sort of opens up to Megan in a way that she hasn't necessarily before and in order to believe that you know that she had never before even considered thinking maybe I could go visit my mom who I haven't seen since I was nine or, um, you know, getting up the courage to have a conversation with the guy that she thinks she might be in love with. Um, you get the impression that she isn't normally the person to just do all of these things, but that mm-hmm. Megan is bringing that out in her somehow. And I think that if they didn't have such good chemistry, on, as both as characters and as actors, then that would not have come off. Tobin, do you have do you have Chloe thoughts? I have always liked her a lot more than you have. I think I I don't <laughs> mind the sort of preternaturally old child actor kind of thing. I do know what you mean though. Sometimes though, it does feel a little bit a little bit like shtick, and I mm-hmm. think it probably has more to 
do maybe with the kind of parts and the and the directors people are working with? I, I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not. But uh, but I so I I understand the syndrome you're talking about. Um, I've always kind of liked her more, and I, I I've never seen Kick Ass, so I don't that which is where the role that kind of in, introduced her as I remember in a kind of big way. So I don't I, I didn't ever have that sort of experience of her. I think we can all probably agree though that Sam Rockwell is fantastic. Yes, I was just going to say, speaking of chemistry, (laughs) Sam Rockwell oozes something that I am just there for every time. And I was just having a conversation about it because I just watched Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And (laughs) And my problem with Sam Rockwell is that I find him unnaturally charming (laughs) and yet he's there's so many of his movies that i'm not interested in seeing Mm. or that i shouldn't see Mm. so Mm. i so maybe that's not true maybe i'm just seeing a i mean i am just seeing a particular sliver of his catalog but i just i kind of can't get enough and yeah i just i i i love i love him and i wrote down his one of his first lines is wow high school students are looking rougher and rougher (laughs) <laughs> just, I can't mean it. It's so, it's so good. I love him. You're talking about the mixer. Yeah. Oh. These things, women insist on touching your form in this very deliberate manner. These touches are meant to communicate gold star level skills and listening oh, and yeah. connectedness. Do you know about this kind of gesture? <laughs> yeah. You mean this one? Yes. Do go on. Do go on. Right. Yeah. That's it. Um. Dad, you do know you can't lecture her all night, right? She's not a kid. Oh, really? You stuck your friend into my house? I think you're lacking say-so here. If you'd let her spend the night in your locker, no, that's school's property. Um, and yeah. I don't know what he's like in, as a human, necessarily. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't want to put all my eggs in the Rockwell basket, but gosh, he's charming to watch. I've seen a lot of interviews with him, and he's just as charming as a regular human as well, it seems. <laughs> one of the reasons I saw this, actually, in addition to having heard that it was great at Sundance, is that I was still riding my Sam Rockwell obsession from the way, way back coming out yes. a years previously. Oh, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. the, I was still in the swing of being... Sam Rockwell was a revelation in this. So the moment I saw he had something else coming out, I knew I had to go see it. And um, do you also enjoy the movie I can't think of the name of with Anna Kendrick and him? What's it called? I didn't enjoy the movie, but I enjoyed him in it. (laughs) Because that's that's off brand for me because it's much more violent than I would like to watch a movie of. But I have Mm -hmm. watched it and I have shown it to people. (laughs) <laughs> I, ooh, I can't I love I love it. I can't even. Um yes, yeah, so we're in it. So <sighs> Megan asks, you know, to crash at Annika's house for a week. <laughs> yep. Um, totally normal. <laughs> and and <laughs> that sort of they make that deal after after Megan pretends to be Annika's mother at in a at a high school counseling session. Um and yeah, yeah, totally normal. Also, that's when we learn that the the turtle's name is Lynn. Yes, just a little shout out. Yep, you know. And, and the turtle was the turtle a- was named Lynn before. Right. Oh, really? Signed on to direct, and originally the turtle was a dog. 
Interesting. So there was a dog named Lynn that they turned into a turtle. Yes, because Lynn Shelton was told they didn't have the budget to get a dog. And so she went to Andrea Siegel and said, we can't get a dog. But I used to have pet tortoises as a kid. Can you make it a tortoise? And she said, sure, and came up with the whole anorexic tortoise thing and really played it up. I think it's much more thematically appropriate, too, given the idea of the tortoise moving so slow and all that. And, you know, I think that Mm -hmm. I think it works a lot better as a and it's more interesting, too. It also fits their household. Yes. Yes. They're not a a little bit offbeat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also it feels like a dog might be too much companionship for Sam Rockwell's character in the, you know, like part of his thing is he's got to be kind of, yeah, yeah. Sad sack and lonely. And I think that's the dog would, well, I guess it could have been a a dog that didn't like you very much, which could have been funny too, but I do, (laughs) I do like the tourists. I think it's a good touch. It's in that, that, that first night, um, after they go to the high school party and and they unsuccessfully sneak Meg back in um, to the house that, you know, Sam Rockwell calls her, calls her down to be like, what, what's actually going on? That, yeah. that she sort of, it all kind of falls out of her. We, we, you know, we know some of the pieces from watching her interact with Anthony and with her family and things, but to really, for her to really explain kind of where this crisis is, is coming from. Uh, and I, I wrote down, I absolutely empathize with, you know, this losing steam for this goal that she thought she had and, and that, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, no, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not, that doesn't explain why you're <laughs> in this young girl's house. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I appreciated hearing from her and, and her being confronted, you know, sort of finally um, mm-hmm. about what, 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 yeah. what's happening. I thought it was really interesting to hear her trying to be honest because you could tell she wasn't trying to, I mean, she was lying about the, about why she was trying to stay with them, <laughs> but she mm-hmm. was trying to be honest with herself about what got her to this point. Mm-hmm. And to hear just the little details about how, you know, she and her four friends in high school, but they, uh, Dance the BC Boys instead of the Top Forty. That told me so much about her that that she felt that that was a relevant detail to bring mm-hmm, up, mm-hmm, <laughs> and then that she needed to say that in order to explain how she got to where she is. Because and, it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. But I can see you could see her brain kind of working at the time, thinking, "Okay, how I don't really know." how I got mm, to where I right, am right now, right. how I got to this point where I am realizing that what I thought adulthood and relationships and friendships would look like, it doesn't look like that at all. But I am going to talk about who I was in high school. <laughs> Which also seems like the identity that she still feels most comfortable with. I Their scenes together, I think, are just kind of sparkle. I, I think that they're, and I, I credit a lot of it to Sam Rockwell, who has this kind of, you know, like he's he 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 plays it very very real, and and yet he's he's as we've been saying he's pointing out how sort of kind of strange the premise of the movie is, <laughs> which is which yes. is refreshing and and it, it makes it sort of um, it makes it go down a little bit easier, and I do I you know, there are a few places in the movie where it feels like 
we shorthand through like there's a there's a one day um after kira after meg has moved in she where they kind of both are there for the day he's not going to leave her alone in the house so he's going to work from home and she's kind of there at the house too and i was worried in that kind of montage we get of their day that this was like they were going to like fall in love by the end of the day and like the movie was going to go in a, in a more obvious direction and luckily, yeah. luckily it didn't like it avoids that at almost every turn but there were times when I, my stomach would start to drop a little bit and think oh this is going to go more conventional isn't it and then and then it doesn't i i do wonder a little bit whether it being more conventional might have made it more successful <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know i mean commercially but i'm glad as a movie right. that it didn't do that yeah i i feel like sam rockwell is so I want to say brilliant, but I feel like we're just, it's, it's gone from the Chris Pine appreciation show to the Sam Rockwell appreciation show, but yes. um, I'm here for both of those. There you go. <laughs> that he, he's pointing out the absurdity of the premise, but is also along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. and I, I like that about him, but I, I did put for that day montage day, strange flirting. And I yeah, don't yeah, know yeah. if how much <laughs> that was supposed to be, or it is their chemistry because he just is a master of chemistry. I mean, he is a chemist, if you will. <laughs> and so some of that could just be what it's like to be in a room with him. That does bring us, I'm sorry to a thing that annoys me like crazy when the wardrobe lets me know that they changed things around. So that, that she's wearing a white t-shirt that day. Then it's the next day. And she's saying, have a good day at work, everybody. And then she's in the white t-shirt again, talking to Anthony. And then she's in mm-hmm. the denim dress. At, next time we see Chloe and they go visit the mom. So I'm sorry. It's nitpicky, but it irritates me. The wardrobe is so on the nose. It's very, <laughs> it's a very, very obvious visual motif. There's no subtlety to it, to the way that Ellie Kemper and her yes. other friends from high school are always wearing those super right. bright and bold mm-hmm. dual tone colors. And I know that they did this intentionally to show, oh, you know, they're in a different place and this is how they feel about their lives and where they are right now versus where Megan feels like she is literally wearing a, a like slumpy white t-shirt and weird white pants strangest outfit to go to a bachelorette party <laughs> in but it, i mean i didn't need those visual cues in the wardrobe to get that <laughs> right no that and i when i wasn't even thinking about that i was just thinking about the um continuity of it mm. but because it's that's the part that got me by you're I'm absolutely right that it demonstrates the distance again between this group that we're all on the same page at some point and now are not. And also sort of the um, energy that she has to, you know, figure out what to wear. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's that, no, I'll just throw this on and that, and that's perfectly fine. But I think if, if she, maybe she used to be more in line with what her other friends were, this is a departure um, mm-hmm. from that. And mm-hmm. in some cases, wearing the high schoolers' clothes, which right. also yes. made me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and then the other wardrobe yes. thing that I think Tobin speaks a little bit to your your comment about whether you know when it sort of takes a. a a right turn from what the conventional story would be yeah. that they visit the estranged mom who doesn't have a good answer 
you know, or, <laughs> or about leaving and all that. Um, but goes and gets all her comped lingerie. Yes. And offering that to her <laughs> year old yes. daughter. And it, it just, again, in this pool that we've already built that is so inappropriate, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, if yeah. you took that out and I just awkward. read the scene, I'd be like, what? Why on earth is she trying to give her <laughs> lingerie? That's so, but it's like fit. Yes. Gretchen Maul plays that character. And I think she did such a fantastic job because uh, even though she doesn't have, she doesn't give any good reason at all for why she abandoned her family. Um, I think that, for Megan to meet her, that was really important for her to see an adult living with the consequence of choices that she made a long mm-hmm. time ago. And when, with an adult who's living a life completely different from the one her, ones her friends are trying to construct for themselves. It's allowing her to see that there are other ways that she can go, that she can end up and they're not all good. Yeah, no, that's, that's a um, interesting way to demonstrate that to her. Mm-hmm. I, I also am always really happy to see Gretchen Maul show up in things. Um, she, she was an actress that was in, you know, a number of indie movies in the, I guess was it maybe the two thousands or the late nineties that I, and I, I sort of, grew to enjoy her presence quite a bit. And then it has come out since that she was a, a, a victim of some of the sort of Weinstein stuff in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, mm-hmm. um, curtailing her career in, in ways I've seen her. I actually saw her most on stage when we were, uh, when I was in New York. Um, but mm. uh, her movie career had never, it never quite felt like she went where she was supposed to go. Do you know what I mean? Like she's not, yeah, wasn't, wasn't sort of, and, and so, first, I, so I, right. I love to see her getting a chance to sort of, as you say, in, in a tiny scene or a couple scenes have a little bit more of a substantial role or make, make more of a, a, a more of a substantial role out of just a few scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she has a strong presence as she did when I first saw her in rounders. Sure. Shout out to my good buddy, Sean, also a big Rounders fan. <laughs> While we're talking about the different choices she can make and what, you know, this, I, I feel like there's a, this kind of pushing against the idea of what she's supposed to do based on what her friends have done. And, and that um, it, on the way back from being, seeing the mom, um, they stop for the coffee treats and, and she runs into Allison Mm-hmm. Accidentally, when she's supposed to be at this other place at the seminar doing this all this self-work and that that Allison's argument is that she needs to follow the plan so that their stories make sense to each other yes yes it's just so yeah. like again I I empathize like I I get that and yet no like <laughs> yep. you know and and so I I, I feel for Allison because I don't think she's you know, like, like you said, Corey, and, and like Ellie Kemper said, she's not malicious. She's not, you know, and she's not even trying to get out of this friendship. She's, from her perspective, trying to keep it all together. And that involves following this very specific plan. And I just, you know, I don't know, would love some time to talk to Allison about how it's all a social construction. And no need to, you can just explain the stories a little more if someone isn't on the same page. 
but I thought, I thought that was a really, um, it was a moment that even though I'd seen the movie before, I sort of caught my breath a little bit like, oh no. And even mm. though I'm not necessarily rooting for Kira Knightley's character, I still was like, oh, you know, dang it. Here are the cops. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then she goes on a date with Sam Rockwell. I think we all go on a date with Sam Rockwell. At I this point. know. Right? <laughs> not a fan of just grabbing someone and kissing them. I'm just going to say that. But he makes it look, but he makes it, no, but he makes it look like something you would want. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> But also, I understand. Well, the way I read that scene, and, and again, not to, you know, encourage or excuse any kind of behavior, but it, what, the way I read that scene is he's um, working up the nerve. And it felt, I mean, and this may be just the way he's playing it to try and make it for himself be less um, uh, inappropriate. <laughs> but he, that, that, that there's a certain <laughs> amount of, he's like, I got to take my chance, now I got to do it. And he just sort of, you know, goes for it um again not as an excuse or as a, a condoning the behavior at all um but it, but that does feel it feels like it comes from a place of of his character that doesn't feel um malicious on his part right and and it 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 is a consensual activity i just you know i like yep. to point out I, no, it's I'm not right. the model it's <laughs> not the model by which to take notes and say this is how um, to approach someone. I also did just love when she said, let's not finger bang in the yeah. street. She says, she says, oh she says maybe we don't <laughs> yeah. finger bang on the street. Yeah. <laughs> it's just which, so well <laughs> delivered. It's so, it's so good. It's so good. Which also I think sp- speaks to her delayed um, or not delayed, but just in a different place than the, you know, her friends that we've met mm-hmm. that probably are, that's not the vernacular that folks are using anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think Allison has probably said finger bang <laughs> yes, since yes, yes. that prom night. Right, and so point. it was just sort of, um, it, that she, there's a freedom in this weird limbo of I'm in high, you know, I'm with these high school kids, but I'm not, but I, you know, I mean, I can, mm-hmm. I, she's comfortable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there. Um, mm-hmm. And cause the, cause the Annika is having a sleepover. Uh, with her friend Misty, who I have to say also standout performance. <laughs> I thought Misty was yes. great. She's fantastic. She steals every scene that she's in. Yeah, she's a good. We should. We can we give her a ding real quick. Let me get it. Yeah. What can you let's uh, we, let's find it's, her name. It's Caitlin Daver. Caitlin Daver. Daver. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Nice ding. Nice ding. <laughs> Thanks. Um. And she's the one who says leggies. Yes. She's the one who brings the title into the into the world. I, I now I watched in the making of because the, the, we do need to talk a little bit about the title because uh, I, so I watched the making <laughs> the making of on the DVD and they talk about how the movie went through a variety of titles before they settled on Laggies as the title and that it came out came up rather late in the process of of um, the development of the story and mm-hmm. um, the so if so maybe so I, I wonder if that if they then added the line to the movie to sort of at least make it make sense I think that the I don't think this is a good title for this movie agreed um, I think that not only does it because can I not say it um, but it it feels a little bit like <laughs> the problem that the Hudsucker proxy has we maybe have talked about this on other episodes uh, which was a great Coen Brothers movie with a title nobody could really it was sort of an inscrutable title and I feel like mm-hmm. th- this movie is so much less inscrutable than the 
title war than the than this title sort of implies. And mm-hmm. while sure, I think I guess it could make sense like on paper. I, I just think it's not a and I know they didn't want something generic and I appreciate that. I just don't think it's a very good title. I don't either. But I do think it's funny it the screenwriter Andrew Siegel thought that it was a common word, a common slang word that everybody knew. Oh really? And yeah. yes. She thought that everybody knew what laggies meant and that everybody called their friends laggies when they were like being slow or running late or something and tried convincing Lynn Shelton that she was crazy for not knowing what it meant. Oh, wow. And then once Lynn Shelton started talking to other people, it quickly became clear to her that um, that Andrea and her friends were the only ones who ever <laughs> used this word. <laughs> Which then, you know, is it was probably cute and fun and interesting on set, but then didn't translate back out. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. You know, and as a, and as a uh, you know, conclusion... It should not be the name of the film. <laughs> yes, right, right. If it was a word that was common, if it was a like a word that people used, I can see how it would make sense mm-hmm. it, as a description of Megan, yes, who feels right. like who seems like she's the laggy. She's the one who's lagging behind all of her friends on this road to what they think adulthood looks like. Right. But since nobody knows what the word <laughs> means, it's not a thing. It's like trying to make fetch happen. Yep. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Are, are we at, are we ready to talk about the sort of conclusion of the movie? Cause I have yes. thoughts about the conclusion of the movie. I have. Yes. Well, before that. Okay. Yep. I knew, I knew it. I knew it. Go I have it. some uh, concerns. I don't know. I mean, ugh. it's, and it's, this is not unique to this film, but on this watching, it just, I, was constantly irritated by the they're all just white people with money <laughs> and 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 heteronormative and you know mm, and again right. so many this, this is not this particular film's fault um but it was just hard over and over again like i think Corey you made a comment earlier about um you know Chloe's problems and that be, her being uh you know, self-absorbed like a teenager. And, and I agree, but all of their problems, you know, none of the, none of the problems really had a weight for me mm-hmm. because they were just so, uh, you know, it, there was, I don't know. They just, it didn't have guts is what I don't, that's not what I wanted to say, but I kept thinking, what would change this if they were, you know, working class or working poor. What would change this if um, Megan was a person of color or the family were folks of color or, you know, I just, I wanted something more in the, mm-hmm. in the story to give the story for me sort of uh, consequence and staying power. Yeah, I can definitely see that. That's a problem that I have with pretty much most movies that are especially right. particularly coming-of-age movies, particularly if it happens to be one of the rare coming-of-age movies about a woman. <laughs> right. Um, so, that, so that's the thing. Like, do we, if we get, and, and I don't want to go past where we are. I do want to talk about the end before we, um, you know, pass full judgment, but that, absolutely having um you know the the stories about 
a young woman, young women, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are, you know, far fewer stories told, you know, uh, centered that way. Mm-hmm. But what did this one add kind of to, to that for me? And I will get when we get to the very end. Cause I, I, I can, I can make my, you know, I can make it work different ways, but <laughs> they were exemplifying the invisibility, in, you know, in their lives, mm-hmm, of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is not, this is not, I mean, she's the man absolutely right. guilty of it <laughs> at least as much, if not more and in, in more egregious ways. Mm-hmm. This is not the first film we're, t- we're talking about that um, has that. And, and, and we know that, you know, uh, representation is so important and, um, you know, they're just. Maybe it's that the, the, for me, the rest of the movie feels so, uh, it allows itself to be so idiosyncratic and, and uh, so sort of against the, the normal type of this kind of movie that, it, it it glares more that this that this follows that the 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 form of so many of as you say coming of age stories um this kind of in this kind of milieu like this uh, socially like this it it maybe it stands out more because the movie feels um smarter about other things mm. oh yeah that's a good way yeah. to think about it all through the last pa- part of my notes is are these big capital letters saying if she gets married to this guy goes back to her fans and gets married to him. I'm going to re- flush this movie. Like <laughs> I, I, it really had me. I thought that, Oh my God, is this movie really going to end up with her going off and, and getting married to this guy who's, it's just clearly not the right choice for her. Like, is that uh-huh. the lesson that she's supposed to learn or at least and not uh, the right choice for him? Well, for I, him, I, right. I feel, you know, most concerned about Anthony and Anthony needs to be able to move forward with <laughs> someone who's excited to be with him. Yeah. I think I absolutely believe that she loves him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But she's not excited. Like the, the breakup scene, which is, is kind of cool. And the right that the breakup scene happens at the airport as they're about to get on this flight to go to Las Vegas to elope and, mm-hmm. and they call their gate and, and he takes this picture mm-hmm. and sends it to their friends. And she realizes in that moment, that's the, the sort of straw that breaks the camel's back for her. And she's like, okay, this, this isn't going to work. And, mm-hmm. and so we have the, instead of the sort of race to the, you know, airport to, to wrap up the, um, you know, the, the romantic comedy and sort of save the relationship. She decides this is the, point at which I have to call it because it's just not going to, I can see now it's not going to work. So I do like that they sort of invert that and that they had me up to that point. And then I think that scene between them is very good. It feels, I feel her pain in having to hurt him and his mm-hmm. pain in not understanding how, like he just had, had read this whole situation completely wrong for a long time with her, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, like, and, and, and they do a smart thing in not having like a big blow up fight because in right. my experience, in those moments, like it's going to take a while for him to sort of absorb right. what is going yeah. to feel like a betrayal to him of of however many la- the last how long in the relationship it's been that she's kind of been out of it, and and so they they, they don't they don't have to sh- do the whole scene here, right? Like they just do right. this part of it. I think that's very smart. But then. They ruin it. I know. I was so angry because I did not remember. I remembered her breaking up with him at the airport. And because the point part that sticks out to me is her saying, I'm finally doing this. 
which I think that's what's going to make him mad later when he processes it. Yeah, exactly. Like, finally, right. for how long have you felt this way? Yeah. And not told me. Yeah. But then she drops off the box of wine and the little sixth grade note. And fine. Had she done that, but the note would be different. If, if it were me in charge of this, uh-huh. she would have dropped off the box of wine with an apology letter that then, you know, says, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to figure my shit out. You know, here's my information in the future or something, right? Yeah. But that she's standing there waiting. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you made me mad. <laughs> Corey, Corey, you're a big fan of this movie. How does the end sit for you? It's uh, It doesn't necessarily sit well, but it's usually something that I am willing to look past. <laughs> Um, <laughs> because I usually, by the time I get to the end, I am just, the airport scene is so good. The breakup scene is really emotional yeah. and they do such a good job at really making you feel for both of the characters. And they do do a great job throughout the whole film and making you think, you know, is she really going to stay with this guy? Because he's just likable enough to make you think, okay, I don't want her to just dump him. But also she shouldn't stay with him and they make it this real dilemma. And so it does. I That's such a nice ending. And then the scene where she goes to the kids prom and, you know, pep talks Annika and oh, yeah. tells her yeah. she's not going to need to know about shapes with more than eight fucking sides later in life or parabolas because math is useless later in life. Like that's such a great scene also. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. then, uh, it's usually the kind of thing where, like, when you get to that last scene, it's kind of, it's just kind of anticlimactic. And also, it's the ending that you're supposed to want at this point. But yeah. I don't, by the time we get to it, I kind of don't want it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, to, it demonstrated for me how much work she still has to do. Like, that was not the, I'm going to put my life back together choice. No. Right. That was the, I met this guy and we got drunk and fooled around and now I'm in love with him. Yeah. And like, maybe he is the love of her life, but (laughs) like, that's not, she's no good to him right now. No. Yeah. Because she's got to figure it out. Exactly. This is, this is the, so uh, our mom is going to love the ending of the movie, the way it works. Like. (laughs) Because it's a happy ending. It's a happy ending. Hi, mom. Uh, and I'm and I'm glad for you that the movie has this ending. I wish if they were going to have this, the, the ending as it sort of as here's where I cut it. She drops off the box of wine. You know, he he's in the house, gets the, the doorbell rings. He goes or knocks or whatever. He goes there. There's the box of wine. There's the note. And then he shuts the door. Yeah. Or like she sh- like she shows up and then he shuts the door. Like that's where I'd end the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Like because she's not she she has not. You, you to jump she from one relationship it. into the net. Yeah, it's 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 it just doesn't feel like the right. She's just not ready, right? Yeah. I mean, come on, she is. She needs to go find herself. And I hate to sort of prescribe for someone else because who knows what she really needs. But but I find I found it to be a sort of uh, cop out in terms of the. I agree. Um, that for so long has been so smart about the emotional reality of this point in this person's life and what they're going through, and yeah. she's going to solve it all by going and hooking up with Sam. I mean, it's Sam Rockwell, so I, I do get it. But like, yeah. no, uh, it, it's just it's a yeah. little bit lazy to me. But here's here's another solution because I don't want to. Uh, tell her she can't go get hers right, so right. what if the note says want to help me rebound 
or something to make it clear because that's that's where they're at right but that she's fallen in love with him i just i don't i don't believe it 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 not ruins the whole thing but i had wondered when i put it on the list i thought to myself wait why why don't i own this because i did seek it out and i and i had remembered enjoying it Uh um and i think this is why because i get to the end and i'm mad uh, you should do yeah. like what mom does with, uh, is it something that's got to give that she shuts off when, when, um, is which that is with little, Keanu? Yeah. Which is with Keanu Reeves. Like that's where oh my mom my turns gosh. off that movie. Cause that's <laughs> the ending of the movie that she likes. This is, that's what you should do with this eyes. And you should do your fan edit and just like cut the, after, after Absolutely. Prom, cut, turn off the movie. I, I stop reading little women in a certain spot each time. <laughs> In any case, uh, <laughs> while there's some whimsy around, um, would you like to play a game? Yeah. Yes, let's play a game. So you said it in your synopsis, and it it um, it's this is a quarter life crisis movie, right? That's, um, what, that's what I said. Yep. That's what you said. And, and <laughs> you, I mean, but this it's, and this is not the first, um, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, always, sort of, always right. Yep. Uh, they sort of credit the graduate. Oh, as sure. the first poor life crisis. Interesting. Um, and you know, they're everywhere. And I, I, I'm not going to give their whole list. People can look it up, but it's mm-hmm. also, and this is not the conversation we're having, but it's a whole lot of movies about white people. Uh-huh. But again, uh-huh. any, there may be many categories in which you can, you know, say that. But I just, it's like, this might be a very specific phenomenon. Yeah, case, right, right. <laughs> um, I want you all to tell me, I want you to pick a quarter-life co-pilot. So who from either this film or another film that we have done on the Contenders podcast. Who would you want to be your wing person to help you navigate through what this film and other films are telling us? Is it an inevitable um, life explosion that we all have at the end of our 20s? All right. And just as a reminder, our films include The Contender, Wonder Woman, Ladybird, She's the Man, A Wrinkle in Time, Aliens, Zero Dark Thirty, Hidden Figures, Twilight, Winter's Bone, Revenge, Ocean's Eight, and The Leveling. Mm. Wow. Okay. All is right. There, so, and let's say this: Is there a leading lady character from any of those who would be your quarter life co-pilot, and why? Oh, so now let me ask this: Do you mean someone who's who's uh, moving through it at the same stage with me, or is like a mentor type? Figure like where, where, how, how, either do you... way, whatever you need in a co pilot through this journey. Okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, I have some ideas. Shall I go first? Sure. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. So, my first idea was maybe um, the Jessica Chastain character of Zero Dark Thirty, hmm. um, just because she seems to like, like, she has a purpose. Like, she knows, like, you know, like, like maybe sort of. And she would have no patience for a quarter life crisis, it feels like. Uh, but also that no patience might be difficult for me at a quarter life crisis. So that that then maybe <laughs> felt, felt like like too much. Um, so I think I'm going to go with um, I, I would like to have as my sort of mentor co-pilot through it. The Reese Witherspoon character from A Wrinkle in Time. Nice. Mm. 
who I think would be kind uh, and but funny uh, and also but like confused by why I was like, you know, she could sort of talk mm-hmm. sense into me by not understanding what the hell I was doing. Yeah, she would, <laughs> and, she would tell you this is a very privileged phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. And, and that might in a, in a very in a more gentle way than the, than the Jessica Chastain character might sort of, you know, shake me out of it. I think I would agree about Reese Witherspoon if I was looking for someone to be kind of more outside of it and more of a mentor figure who someone who is the one pushing me to be like okay you're gonna get out of this because you know your quarter life is going to end and you're gonna get older and figure (laughs) things out you're gonna make the small adjustments and you're gonna go on your way i think i would definitely want her because she also wouldn't be she wouldn't hesitate when to lose patience with me Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. appropriate um but if I want, if for someone I would want going through it with me, I would uh, say either Lady Bird or Julie, because I feel like they wouldn't Ooh. judge me for yeah, yeah, yeah. for the whatever I was experiencing and whatever felt like the end of the world to me. Although that was that's one thing I was going to. I was thinking at first, you know, well, may, why not Megan herself? Because she mm-hmm. clearly has made all of these <laughs> terrible decisions, <laughs> has gotten some perspective, and you know, would it be a good person to stand next to going through with this. And then I kind of thought, you know, she was so quick in ways to judge at the beginning of the movie and at uh, the end uh, I don't know how much I think she's changed hmm. interesting she says to interesting. her dad about you know I can't judge because I screwed up too but I don't know if she considers her screw ups to be what they if she like, can see them for what they really are mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. and I think I'd rather just have someone that I can laugh with and go on the log flume ride with. <laughs> yes. so, so, someone to, to be in the trenches of a quarter life crisis with. Yeah. Yes. Isla, what about you? So uh, for my in the trenches person uh, the to commiserate with, I would uh, pick Mindy Kaling from Ocean's 8. Oh, good. Good one. I think we yeah. have fun together, especially with all yeah. her money. Um, the characters oh, or Mindy's, but you know, uh, traveling together and just sort of soaking it up. And then, I mean, I just wonder woman. Yeah. Right. I mean, call. it would yeah. be, I, I could literally pull me out of it. With her <laughs> invisible. Lasso. Um, but also I think in the similar to, to y'all's uh, Reese Witherspoon answer, her sort of, you know, that, that naivete. Yeah. Um, yeah would I think also be helpful in in mm-hmm. finding some perspective which is definitely what all the people in this movie needed yeah perspective that's a, that's, that's a word for it. Yeah. Yeah. so now comes the time when we uh, give our sort of final review um, is this um, film progressive or regressive is it a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera Corey, you are a guest. You've seen this movie the most out of all of us. What what say you? I will say progressive because I just really love that 
a woman directed a movie by another woman about a pretty flawed and pretty unlikable female character, the kind of complex character that we get to see men play all the time, (laughs) and wasn't afraid to let her be in many ways unsympathetic. She was kind of like Carrie Bradshaw to me in that mm. she's kind of terrible and kind of annoying, but at the same time, it makes me feel better to see someone like her on screen. Awesome. Tobin, what, do you, what is your answer? I came in conflicted about this because the movie, by the end of it, because of that last scene, makes it feel like yeah. so much of the movie's been based on uh, the 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 characters' issues with men, and then it still revolves around who she's with and what her dad is doing and which guy she should be with. And but but I am persuaded by Corey's uh, analysis, <laughs> and so I'm going to come down on the on the side of progressive for all the reasons that she said. Aislinn, what about you? I agree with the strengths um, that, uh, particularly thinking about the character as as being unlikable and and foibled and complex that we don't see enough of um, from people who aren't men. And I absolutely love that one woman wrote it, one woman directed it, many women produced it, and this is what we get. Um, that being said, I can't, I can't make it get to the progressive side for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to put it right in the middle and, and leave it floating. <laughs> Get it. Um, <laughs> in that it's neither. I, I also, I don't, I don't know that it's regressive for this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, other than the sheer fact of it getting made, which I know is huge, there, mm-hmm. I, it doesn't add to the world for me. Um, I'm reminded of the comment, a comment Tobin made in when we were talking about revenge saying, um, you know, do we need another violence, revenge, fantasy kind of thing? You know, I don't know, but if we do, you know, it's this one. I think this is a fine movie, but I don't, I don't think it moves the needle forward. So I'm going to come down and say neither, which I've never said before. So I'm excited about that. Well, you said on Twilight. Right? No. no. Is that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> like that I wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> all right. Awesome. Tobin, what do we have coming up next? Next, we are going to watch the Paul Feig movie Spy coming. We're going to uh, drop that in two weeks on August 7th. So if you haven't seen Spy or haven't seen it recently, treat yourself. Watch a little Spy and come check it out on August 7th. Oh man, this has been so much fun. Thanks for thanks for uh, joining our podcast and chatting with us, Corey. Thanks for having me. Tell us where people can find you if you want to be found online. Where I can be found online. I can be found on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at quintessency, like the word quintessential, except with a Y. Yeah. Um, and um, generally on there complaining about the New York City MTA or <laughs> about rude people in movie theaters. So that's about all I do on there. But, you know, please feel free to stop by. It's very entertaining. The other thing that we do is um, uh, back and forth on Twitter is champion Paddington 2 as the best movie of this oh, year. Oh, you're a Paddington 2 so. yes. Okay. 
Yes. Yeah. My Twitter feed is pretty much just the MTA, <laughs> people in movie theaters, and the campaign to get Hugh Grant an Oscar nomination for Paddington 2. Here, here. We are here for it. Aislinn, where can people find you or do you want to be found? Oh my goodness. Um, you can find me on Twitter at SassyNerdMT, um, though I'm still pretty disdainful <laughs> of the medium. Um, I also have... A, now that I my bio is up on the Cage Club website, I have an email through Cage Club, and oh, I'm yeah. you know just waiting for those creepy fan emails. So send them my way. <laughs> oh dear! Tobin, Careful what you wish for. <laughs> Tobin, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington, and you can find us at Facebook.com/slash/TheContendersPod or on Twitter at Contenders underscore Pod. Tell us what movies you want us to see. Tell us what movies you'd like to see us do in the future. Uh, we here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all those great shows, go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub, and you can find them at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can find all the Cage Club Network shows on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Those reviews really help us spread the word. And if you leave us a comment that we like, we might even read it on an upcoming show. We're not reading one tonight because we've both kind of been taking a break from Twitter. It's true. <laughs> and thus, it gives us a little more time to sift through the fan mail. <laughs> yes. There's just so many. There's so many great reviews that we're having trouble picking. We don't want people to feel Absolutely. bad. Absolutely. Yeah. This is just positivity only here. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I'm Aislinn Addington. I'm Corey O'Connell. I am Tobin Addington, and we'll see you next time on The Contenders. Today we're talking about the 2014 fifth. Uh, I'm going to do that again. Yeah, go for it. <laughs>